ever feel pulled in multiple directions at once, never quite having the energy to achieve all that you want? This podcast is all about helping leaders be human, not superhuman, mastering energy, not just managing time. I'm Ian Brown, and I help leaders improve their personal energy, be more creative, and become the catalyst to spark more energy in those they lead being more productive without working harder or longer so you get to spend more time with the things and people you love. From days that drift to days with design and purpose, welcome to the Energy Leader Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Thriving Leader Podcast. If you're a parent, you'll probably remember being advised to let your children grow in their own way, but be careful of comparing them with others. Yet it was so tempting to look over the fence and then feel slightly regretful for doing so. If you're leading a company, it's equally easy to peer over the fence and be beguiled by innovation theatre, or to find comparisons with companies that are not like you, and you'll never be like them. Both send our creativity and ideas to an early grave. Both stifle the air from creativity. And that's the theme of what we're looking at in today's podcast. First of all, let's talk about innovation envy. Look at the list of global innovative companies in 2015. And in the top five are Tesla, Apple, Amazon. Zip forward to looking at the list of global innovative companies in 2021. And in the top five were... Tesla, Apple, and Amazon. It's interesting, but not altogether useful for us mere mortals because we're not in a position where the TAA triad are wholly relatable. So what if you're not anytime soon going to get on a stage at a TEDx conference speaking to millions? It doesn't mean you're not and never will be innovative or creative. And yet many smaller organisations are tempted to emulate the success through illusory innovation theatre. The first of these manifestations is innovation comes from having an innovation campus. With images of Apple and Pixar in mind, the impression is gained that bringing innovative people together in one place is how innovation happens. In a sense, and in a large country like the US, where distances are vast, there is some sense in bringing scriptwriters, storyboard, artists and animators closer together so they can achieve faster review cycles in closer proximity. In smaller organisations, it's easy to attribute innovation to come from bringing the creative people together. We put the innovators on a floor in a building or even give them a building to themselves. And they can innovate and they can wander, but left to themselves without the stimulus of the mainstream business, they can also create solutions to problems that don't exist. Remember Natalie Nixon's wonder rigor axis? We all have the wonder and none of the rigor, which comes from the knowledge of how things work to come up with incremental change. An innovator without rigor will likely come up with something that is commercially unviable or impractical to implement. Innovation theatre is illusory and falsely symbolic, but hugely tempting for leaders as a way to change culture and bring innovation into an organisation. Alf Rain, as Professor of Innovation at the University of Southern Denmark, should know more than a thing or two about innovation. This innovation theatre, as he calls it, hopes to signal to everyone that, hey, we are now an innovation company, 
and the symbolism of the theatre in itself is meant to infuse a company with ideas, inventions and courage. There is little to no evidence of this working. And more true in reality is that it produces a toxic divide between the ideas people and those who sigh and wait for the eventual mess that they'll have to sweep up in its wake. The second major mistake for smaller organisations is the emulation of startup. The internet's ability to cross borders and available angel investor capital has made startups something to be admired. At certain points in the news cycle, it seems like every day there's a flotation of some startup that seems to have cornered the market in serving a consumer need you never knew existed, let alone thought anyone cared enough about. Our rational brain tells us that those we hear of and maybe admire are the tip of a very large iceberg of startups that never surface above the waves before sinking unknown and unloved and out of sight. But it still doesn't deter us. And it tempts us as leaders to believe that the emulation of a startup culture is the means for being creative and generating great ideas within the company. Again, it rarely works. Most startups start up keeping things really simple. They take a core idea, an uncomplex business model, target a very specific niche of customers, and acknowledge there's a population they don't want to and won't serve. Precarious financing creates a hunger to succeed and a reasonably high tolerance of risk of losing it all in the pursuit of success. The high tolerance of risk probably becomes easier when you have nothing to start out with, and much of what you do has been invested by someone else. It's hard for existing organisations to truly emulate a startup culture, but it doesn't stop some people from trying to establish tiger teams, panzer divisions, and other terms filled with an odd sense of machismo who will smash through the boundaries and turn the company around. Yet the tiger team are still living with the comfort of a monthly paycheck and eventually tend to run out of road when they're told, despite their preference not to, they have to acknowledge and integrate the service for existing customers or protect the existing company brand. The third mistake with innovation culture is selectively choosing palatable or socially aspirational examples to emulate, particularly perceiving innovation in technology to be a superior form of innovation. I looked up a list of Europe's most innovative companies. Within this list are Siemens, Withings, AI royalty tool Amuse, and a biometric security company called Thaler. One brand you won't see is Ryanair. Outrageous and often outspoken, Ryanair was scoffed at by traditional flag carriers with its assertion that it could do without food, drink, cabin, baggage, and floated ideas such as charging customers for using the toilet and standing seats to get more people onto a plane. Yet many years on and Ryanair is still there, arguably as outspoken as ever, but with a huge passenger following. And few can dispute they fundamentally disrupted the concept of European air travel. You don't have to like every aspect of a company to recognise Ryanair brought innovation to Europe. I'll admit, not loved by everyone, but that's the point. It's easy to limit ourselves when looking towards innovation only to brands we find attractive and wholesome. But think wider and you can take examples even from brands you don't like 
and interpret them your way. So is creativity leaking out of your business? If you're a leader that is seeking to harness creativity, you have a decision point in front of you. Are you looking to instill true creativity or just the semblance of theatre? There is a distinction. And now for the good and bad news. To foster creativity in your organisation, it's unlikely that you'll need a big budget innovation campus. So far, so good. The bad news is that it's highly likely that it's your own behaviour that is the greatest setback to seeing ideas foster. And back to the good news, it's relatively easy to do things differently. Now for a true story of how ideas meet an early grave. A little while ago, I had an appointment in central London and decided I had the time and it was early enough to walk to where I needed to be. London's an interesting place to walk, and as I strolled through Farringdon, I had a flashback to an innovation workshop that I'd attended. We were dropped into groups to come up with customer service ideas. The familiar personas, post-it notes, and dotocracy devices were all in play until we narrowed down our ideas and eventually pitched them to the investor board. My team came second. We were robbed. No, seriously, I think none of the pitches were quite ready to hit the market, but the top four were at least 60% onto something and maybe 40% not quite perfect. But here's the thing with the innovation workshop. At the end of the day, only one idea went off to the executive board to be presented and debated. Nine ideas and over 300 collective hours of researching customer problems and pain points and 60 to 80% good enough solutions were never seen again. Except, of course, the customer problems and pain points still existed and were very real, just not known to the executive team who focused solely on the winning idea, which they also ultimately rejected. Nine customer problems and concept ideas to resolve remain possibly to this day unresolved and unnoticed because they lost out in a game of innovation theatre. But it was never a game. At the end of the day, the customer pain points remain. In truth, no one was the winner, certainly not the end users. Ideas can easily meet an early grave, and with them the energy of of their advocates can leak away from an organisation unnoticed. Most ideas die from neglect and lack of care. According to Alf Rain in his book, Innovation for the Fatigued, innovation theatre is what we tend to construct when in actual fact our leadership behaviour has a more profound and telling impact on others. Most ideas die from neglect and a lack of care. Not over-opposition and criticism. In my example, nine ideas died because no one deemed them important enough to even leave the room. But even when you're present as a leader, you may say you're into creativity, but you can kill an idea with a simple yawn. How many times have you been in a meeting and casually pitched in an observation of a problem or the germ of a new idea? You know you've not got it all figured through, but something sparks, you say it, and round the room is silence until the chair of the meeting gives a polite thank you and let's move on. This is the stuff that kills ideas, because once experienced, we ourselves then become far less likely to want to do it again. It's not that as a leader you're out there actively rejecting ideas, but the people around you have all been through this cycle of social embarrassment. 
they've said something well-meaning and watch the lowering of people's gaze around them as the silence becomes deafening. Critique of an idea handled well is a compliment because it shows engagement. The worst thing to do when someone is attempting to be creative is to ignore them. You'll never see it again. So let's turn this ship around. So what to do to foster greater creativity within your team? Well, first of all, don't fall for the theatrics and symbolism of creativity. You risk creating one winner and teaching everybody else that they're the losers and they won't come back for more. Instead, become used to nurturing seed corns, not just of solutions, but also of problems. Because as we know from the Wonder Rigger model, it's not enough to have just ideas. Ideas need to connect themselves with a problem. Why not express interest in the problem and ask open questions? How did you notice this? What have you seen? What are you thinking that we could do? Solutions also need domain expertise. So how about who else might be able to add some perspective on this? Your second tactic is to recognise the seed corn of creativity is messy and incomplete. The theatrical illusory way of looking at this is to praise presentations that are slick and visually compelling for their presentation skills and ignore the substance. Instead, look at ideas like a jigsaw made out of many pieces. The proponent may have a few pieces, but not all of them. And it's your job to spot this and consider how to help them find the missing pieces. Don't task them with doing it. You're the leader with the supposedly superior view and command of all the resources in your organisation. Now is not the time to be delegating that to someone junior. It's the moment they need you to step up and help find the missing pieces. Proposing anything that is beyond the ordinary takes guts and courage that should be admired and not dismissed. Creativity is a delicate thing. People who propose ideas risk rejection, not just of their idea, but feeling themselves rejected unless you, as the leader, set the conditions to foster a counterculture that welcomes learning through experimentation. Something didn't work as we expected. Your choice as a leader to command an inquiry to find the culprit or to look at the pieces, take advantage of some of the shapes that do work, and recognise every experience is something you can learn from. Creativity thrives when the cultural conditions allow it to. No campus or innovation theatre can replace that. And that's a good thing. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Energy Leader Podcast. Why not subscribe so that new episodes are streamed straight to your device? And I'd love it if you'd be kind enough to leave me a review and tell others what you've been up to and what you're learning. To get more help with your time management, productivity, and energy, why not check out the website at www.theenergyleader.com where you'll find more resources to help you be an energetic leader and still have time to spend on the things and the people that you love. Stay strong and make it happen. And I'll see you next time on the Energy Leader Podcast.